Hello and welcome to the latest Forever Blue podcast uh, being recorded just after the one-all draw with Liverpool in the Premier League and of course ahead of the visit of Leipzig and then in the Champions League, that of course in the Champions League and then in the Premier League, Tottenham. So looking ahead to those games and looking back on the Liverpool game as well. Thanks very much to Amar Development UK who are the sponsors of the podcast. Uh, Very much appreciate their support. I noticed today, for example, they had a big group of people in there private box they have a private box at the Etihad Stadium and I was able to do go and say to, a couple of hellos to people and thank them for their support which is great and uh, as I say very much appreciated now hopefully today uh, you'll be hearing from Mike McLean um, who of course is known as Mike Squeaky McLean he was in Nickelodeon he's on Nickelodeon Good Morning Britain and at one time was involved in City Square as well uh, Big Blue um, and very, very busy man. He's in Panto this year as well. Uh, hopefully he'll join us a little bit later on. But to begin with, I have two members of the Forever Blue gang, which is uh, Tony and Andy. So I very much appreciate them taking part today. Uh, 1-1 draw against uh, against Liverpool, which I guess in the old days would have been seen as not a bad result, you know, a home draw against one of your potential title rivals, but with the expectation level that City have these days, uh, any dropped points um, are disappointing points, especially coming off the back of the four-all draw against Chelsea, which was the last Premier League game. So, Andy, let's start with you and get me get you to tell me whether you came away from that game disappointed, pleased with the draw, Relieved to get a draw, disappointed not to win. How, how would you sum, sum it all up? Well, it was a good game, first of all. A very good game of football. Uh, very little space for for either team to, to exploit each other. So it was a top-class game. That's the first thing. Before the game, um, I thought it was a good idea that we played Doku because they don't know him and they'd have to work out um, what to do with him, and I think that proved to be somewhat effective, but not perfect. Um, and I also said that I thought the referee would give us nothing, and that proved to be true, because I don't think the Premier League wanted, wanted us to be four points clear today. And to be honest, uh, I felt a little bit uh, cheated by the second goal, and disappointed that we didn't put our chances away. I suppose we were uh, almost a masterclass, apart from one opportunity in defence today and going forward I think we just lacked any teeth really in the final third and that probably cost us because uh, we probably all thought Liverpool had a goal in them um, even at 1-0 but yeah I feel like we should have won that today um, it was it was in it was definitely within our capability to to take all three points so I'm not overly disappointed just thought that it was a game where we knew that Kevin De Bruyne and John Stones weren't playing today. Those sorts of um, insightful passes that we just would expect us to find the runners weren't there. We relied an awful lot on the left flank to provide and there was a little, little nothing coming off the right flank, frankly. So, yeah, slightly disappointed with the performance of, of the players up front today. Uh, I thought that they, that they could have done better. It's ironic because we know that Erling Haaland hit his 50th goal um, in that game for City, which is amazing. I think it's 49 appearances, is it? And 50 goals. I mean, stunning. And yet, 
I could look at that game and think he actually missed a couple of chances mm. that he might have expected him to score. And I actually did a piece for commercial radio after the match uh, and the questions were along the lines of how good is Haaland? Is it a difference? You know, without him, would, would City struggle? And I, and I actually, on the one hand, wanted to praise him because clearly he's an amazing player with fantastic physique and, and attitude. But at the same time, you sort of think, well, when you really analyse it, he needs three or four chances generally to score a goal, which is fine in a City team that creates... 20 chances a game, which is what they do. But in the tighter games, um, or if City's midfield wasn't functioning as well as it could do, which is what you suggested, Andy, that those chances might not be quite as many. There were today, but sometimes they won't be as plentiful as that. And should I mean, is that a fair criticism to say that Haaland should score a higher percentage of his goals? I think today he could have scored another another goal, yeah. Um I think he worked quite hard off the ball today. One of the things that was noticeable about his game that he put himself about a bit off the ball. But I just think that he needs that uh, assistance that somebody like Kevin De Bruyne brings. If we were to go back and analyse those 50 goals um, and we take away the penalties, I wonder how many of them were created by the, the, those, you know, slick passes through, or if he's just on the end of a, a rebound. And, you know, I, 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 I'm really pleased that he's achieved what he's achieved. And I don't want to start to become negative about it, but I just thought that today, um, perhaps a little bit as well, Guardiola could have mixed things up a bit. I felt a bit disappointed. I know we had a, a shy bench given we've got Champions League on Tuesday, but... He didn't actually but use as substitute at all, did he? Well, he could have swapped the wingers. He could have done something just to just to create, make Liverpool think in the last ten. You know, just maybe just swap Bowden and Doku over for five minutes and just disrupt it a little bit. So, you know, who am I to tell Guardiola what to do? But I just felt that as though um, the crowd were behind the team in the end, really trying to get them push them over the line, and we just couldn't seem to get. Um, get a decent shot on goal to test Allison. I think only Foden got one uh, that really gave him a, a, a difficult a difficult save. So uh, that was just just the only thing today really. I thought I thought actually, you know, we, we played well. You expect us to play that well against top sides. So we did. Um but you, I think we all knew, we all knew that 1-0 was never going to be enough. And until that second one went in and it and it did. And then it was taken away and it was quite obvious without needing to see any replays that it looked like a soft uh, a soft foul, if a foul at all. So, um, yeah, I think um, Haaland was making a lot of runs and I think that that's the kind of player he is. He does make, maybe for every five runs he makes, he might get one pass. But I think that's what he does and I think that's what you expect of strikers like that so um the goal actually I don't actually think he caught it that well it seemed to me as though you know we were gifted the ball effectively from Allison Ake found space the space for Haaland but he, he looked to me like he missed it you know um but it went in so who cares 
Well, this is where Tony has the advantage because uh, you and I were at the game and I wasn't in the press box or anything like that. So neither of us, as we speak now, I guess, have seen replays. I have talked to my son who has seen a replay who said he felt that it was a... Um, shall we say, a, a, you know, a generous ruling out of the goal because it was just one hand on the shoulder. But I'm guessing, Tony, that you've seen better views, better pictures of this. What did you make of it? No, I, I, I mean, I was saying, uh, same as Andy, really. I, I, I didn't see much wrong with that second goal at all. Um, the play seemed to go on, and the same play seemed to go on, and I just didn't really see any major problem with it. And I think it came at the right time, as as, as these things do. And it would have settled everything down, but obviously things weren't meant to be. I mean, in terms of uh, Haaland's strike, um, he does take one extra touch, uh, whereas before, I think we were saying before, that because the goals are, I mean, obviously, don't get me wrong, the, the goals are there and they're coming for him. But I think he's a little bit more um, resourceful in terms of um, his ability to take an early shot. Um, that particular one that, that you refer to, the defender comes across at the last minute and although it, it, it it's very tight to actually taking a little bit of a nick off the defender, it's, it looks a very soft goal and, and again, I'd have to see it a few more times. I thought Alisson would have got that, but maybe that little nick off the defender um, uh, might have just taken it away or, or give him a little bit more to do as, as he kind of pushes it in, into the net. Um Going back to obviously the game, I'm of the same opinion as, as Andy. I think, you know, we we were probably expected to to win that game. But having said that, on the back of these uh, international games, sometimes these uh, kind of sluggish performances um, do come. Now, I didn't think that either were sluggish, both teams, but I thought that they cancelled each other out. I mean, if you want to look at it in sort of two heavyweights, um, keeping each other at arm's length, I think that's probably where it was. Um, I did feel that that we had that extra in 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 terms of Haaland having that um, uh, that extra little bit about us um, to be able to maybe put um, chances away, and obviously the chance that he got, he did. Um, I I quite like the fact that Ake uh, and Akanji come and step into midfield, and they can offer these these passes. That I mean, obviously they're not quite the De Bruyne passes. But they're very intricate because they're they're very comfortable coming into into them positions. And I think as the game goes on, um, or in games, sorry, where it is tight, it's useful to have the likes of Stones, the likes of Akanji, the likes of Ake to come in and make that um, additional player in midfield, not just somebody who just happens to be standing there, but actually can offer something as well. And equally, they can all uh, make a nice little pass, which obviously they did in that particular game. Um, I also think as well, I thought changes could have been made. It does make you wonder if if possibly De Bruyne may be earmarked to come and play in a game, obviously, um, in, in midweek, um, in order then to get him ready for uh, the game against Spurs on Sunday. Maybe the same with uh, John Stones to get some minutes in that game. It's a game, really, that, that we can afford to do that sort of thing with. Maybe the chance of playing against Liverpool wasn't quite right to actually put... Um, De Bruyne was stung in a game like this, um, because purely because of the uh, the relevance of the, of the game in terms of obviously where both teams are. So disappointing in some ways that obviously um, uh, obviously we we you know we got we got a draw, but ultimately it kind of puts everything back to where it was in terms of that. I do see Liverpool as the, probably the uh, the side that will probably chase us the most. I do see it with other teams like Chelsea, like Tottenham. 
who are likely to come unstuck against um, um, so-called weaker opposition. Um, and that's proving with Chelsea. I think, you, you know, the, obviously the game that they played against ourselves the week before um, was one of those games that, that really, you know, made Chelsea look like they were world beaters. But then we saw today that they've gone to Newcastle and didn't really turn up. So I think that's where some of them teams are. Um, and again, the same with uh, Tottenham, I, I anticipate as well. So, but yeah, um, disappointed? No. The fact that we didn't lose the game, there was some really good performances from some people in that game. And, and I think it's just now we've just got to just get that momentum going and carry on on uh, in the week. I certainly take your point about John Stones. I don't know if you've got any information that I haven't got, Tony, but I don't think Kevin <laughs> Reiner is uh, on the verge of coming back or, you know, in contention to play in midweek unless uh, I, I'm completely out of the loop here. I'm imagining it's going to be quite deep into December at the earliest before we're likely to see Kevin De Bruyne coming into any sort of contention. They might try to get him fit for that World Club Cup if that's a, a target for them to try and lift that trophy. But obviously the Leipzig game in midweek is not quite a dead rubber, but um, effectively because City won the first game 3-1, and if the two teams were level on points, then it would go on head to head. So that means that Leipzig would have to win 4-1 or 3-0 or, you know, quite a big score at the Etihad to basically um, a gazump City to top of the league. So even a 2-0 home defeat would be enough for City to win the group. So... It is a game I would imagine we're going to see Rico Lewis and obviously New England International. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but Rico Lewis, uh, Jack Grealish will probably come back into the side, Ortega probably play. You know, there'll be quite a few changes um, and that would be one where Stones could play as well. But, and, and, and please don't take this the wrong way, it's just an ironic thought of mine um, that we now seem to be relying on John Stones to almost be a key part of the midfield um, when he originally was a centre-half who uh, was was taught how to slot into midfield. Um, he's he's not exactly, you know, he's not Gundogan. I mean, that's, that's no disrespect to John Stones, but he's not Elkai Gundogan. He's not Kevin De Bruyne, is he, Andy? No, no, he's not. Um, but he's learned to adapt his game. Um, you, you almost wonder whether Akanji today was sort of doing a bit of an audition for that role, playing a little bit further out of defence. And um, it, while it's in my head, I mustn't forget to say, I thought Nathan Aki was tremendous today. A great footballer. I think he is our best left-sided defender. Um and Bernardo Silva was magical uh, for me. The, the 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 lad just seems to love playing against Liverpool. It's like he finds another another set of wheels to 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 be able to to get around the pitch. And some of his touches were were sublime. I thought he was really the outstanding player for City today. Um, and we are a little bit shy, I suppose, of. Of uh, of opportunities in midfield with the injuries we've got, um, but uh, yeah, uh, Rodri almost invisibly just does his work there today. Nothing stand out, but you just know that he's he's uh, he's in control. And we did it. I think we did a good job on Mo Salah as well. I think there was some good stuff there today to uh, to reflect on, and not only just just to sort of expect to turn Liverpool over. 
Um, I sit very close to the away end. And I thought Liverpool fans uh, were the quietest I've heard them at, at City for many a year. Now, OK, that's obviously an early kickoff does rather quieten the, the, the mood a little. Um, but nevertheless, I think that they'll be their hardcore away group, knowing that they were in a tough game today. As as it, as it is when we're away and you know you're in a fight, the, the voices tend to go a little bit quiet. So for me, that was a, that was respect, uh, really, to say that I think they probably very pleased with the draw um, rather than disappointed. I heard something this week that suggested that uh, when United play Everton, that the TV channels um, or the TV channel covering it might have to turn down the crowd noise a little bit, you know, and in case there's any inappropriate chanting or whatever. And so I'm going to ask this question now to Tonya, who I know will have watched the game on TV rather than been at the game, which is obviously no disrespect to anybody because that's how I guess the majority of people these days watch games on TV because there's only 55,000 spaces and especially at away game, it's hard to get a ticket. But um, how did it come over on the TV today? I mean... Pep was apparently gesticulating and after the, the game saying, come on, make make more noise. So he he wanted more from the home fans, didn't he? Yeah, I, I, um, I, I mean, like you said, um, the Liverpool fans up until the point, um, they had a little bit of a brief spell in the first half and had that probably that one chance, really. Um, they had a period where they had some play um, and I didn't really hear too much of their fans at all. And I know obviously TV slightly different than actually been at the game um and then when we scored i think definitely they they really went they really went quiet um and you could see the difference obviously when they got that goal obviously uh from alexander that 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 they did they suddenly you, you think oh they're here you know it was that kind of oh right glad you've come type thing um what about the city fans um it's i mean from the tv point of view whether that's thing it, it didn't seem too um too quiet uh, ultimately it wasn't exhilarating it wasn't something where i felt i had to you know turn the television down but certainly i i felt like i could hear the fans uh, right the way through the game um but obviously like i say sometimes it is a little bit different um when you're not at the game um but certainly i didn't hear anything that, that suggested that they were quieter than normal but i do accept that sometimes the early kickoff does for some reason does play that part there was, a, there was a reference to, I think after about 70 minutes, we caught a PA announcement um, and that seemed to reference something to do with um, chant, inappropriate chanting. And I, I didn't I didn't hear anything at all, frankly, during the game. And I have to say credit uh, to City today for what I thought was a much more intense and visible level of stewarding around the ground, inside the ground, um, you know, there was a, a lot more scrutiny of who was getting in. Um, there were definitely ejections when Liverpool scored without any hesitation. You know, there were people in there who shouldn't have been. And um, I felt as though th th there, was a, there was a heightened concern around this fixture, yeah. um, again, uh, give, given the, the recent uh, events. And... You know, we've heard all week about the early kickoff, but we all know why it's an early kickoff. It's because of them. And um, 
hopefully today there's nothing coming going to eke out into the press uh, to, tonight and tomorrow, which is negative around the fans' behaviour uh, of either of either team. But I didn't witness anything. If anything, it looked um, like a like a like a good day out um, for everybody, and and the stewarding was very very visible today. Something definitely was was different about that, and um, I, I felt that that was appropriate and, and well done by the club. At least where I was. Obviously, I mentioned that Everton United game as a potential powder keg. So it's the opposite thing. It's in theory, it's Manchester. I know it's Stretford, but it's Manchester against uh, Liverpool in the other fixture as well. Um, but in this case, you will have noticed, I'm sure, Andy, the, the little plane that yeah, flew over the in the second half, which was yeah. having to go at the FFP and all the rest of it. Um, so despite that, nobody really got as wound up about it as I thought that they might do. But it does lead the question. And Pep, Pep at the press conference that I was at, you know, was asked about it inevitably by the the press because Everton have, for anybody listening this who doesn't know, who's been perhaps on another planet or something in the last couple of weeks, Everton have been docked 10 points, which is one of the reasons it might be a little bit of a powder keg at Goodison Park. Um, and City at the moment have these charges hanging over them and nothing's changed in the City sense and we still might be looking, the latest estimate is about a year before the City case will be concluded but it's put the spotlight back on, all the media have been diving in with the comments and questions. What do you, as two City fans, think about where we are at the moment? I mean, is it the fact that this has happened to Everton should that make any difference? That's what all the media are saying. That's what people are saying, you know, that, well, they only had one charge and they've got 10 points, so City are going to be in the conference, you know, next year. Mm. Um, what, what's your reaction to that? Go on, Tony. Uh, well, I think that if you have to, you have to look at these um, these charges in, in isolation. And I think that we've, um, there's been so many um, feedback on on the particular issues that City are involved in. And some are really, really small and will not result in anything more than, than just paperwork. Um, but there are some uh, bigger charges, uh, so, you know, from, from what we're led to believe. But ultimately, these these are very, very complicated charges. And I think that's the reason why um, there's been this held off, this hold off, sorry, in order to actually administer any punishment, should there be, because of that. Um, the Everton situation was purely down to the fact that their overspend and their allowance, uh, their ability to not stay um, in in profit or, or sort of go more sort of out um, more in debt in regards to the building of that particular stadium. So it was quite clear. I think the fortunate thing for Everton is that in theory, because it was related to something that was maybe um, not last season, the season before, they could quite easily have uh, had these ten points uh, this last season, which would have relegated them. So I think they've been very lucky in regards to that. And maybe that's why the league have done what they've done in order that it's it's not insurmountable, that, that they can recover from that. Because obviously, I think more has been said if, if they'd had them 10 points would have gone on uh, last season and then they would have been in a position where they would have been in a, in a, in a division below. So um, it maybe is a bit of a balancing act from that. I think there, there was a, a realisation that once you start throwing uh, these punishments out in regards to the Everton situation, then it was obvious that people would come back with a City situation. So I think it's far more complicated. And I think that anyone who's got any ounce about them would realise that, uh, that it's not as straightforward as as, as as Everton's was. 
So I did expect it to take as long as it as it as it is doing, and that it will do. And I'm not really that convinced that that anything really substantial in in regards to maybe points deduction will actually come from it anyway. I think you're probably right, but what I conclude certainly I've concluded from observing what's happened in the last two weeks is that when eventually the result of the city investigation does happen that the story will be so... And we, we knew it would be a big story one way or the other anyway, but it seems to have almost cranked it up even more now. And yeah. you're thinking, if City are completely exonerated, you know, what happens then? Where, where does football, where does the Premier League, where do Manchester City go from <laughs> there? If they're found guilty, even that, set, you, you, the same questions still apply. But it feels as if the, the stakes of, of this whole thing now have gone up a couple of notches because of the 10 points on Everton, or am I wrong? Andy, you, 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 I know you study these things very deeply, so what are your well, thoughts? I, I think it's quite simple. If we go back to the initial timing of our charges, um, this was clearly designed by the Premier League to uh, push away the regulatory pressure that is being placed upon them by government. So I think this is another example of that. So they've actually got something where they really have got, if you like, a self-confessed um, football club who says, yeah, okay, you've got us bang to rights. <clears throat> so they've tried to show their teeth and I think they've been extremely uh, uh, unfair by the penalty that Everton have received if you think that nine points is is there because you go into administration I think that's the model so I think 10 is 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 strong uh but I think what they're trying to do is say look we don't need regulation we're we're, we're looking after our house and they've probably got another lower hanging fruit than the city fruit uh in the in the Chelsea Abramovich um uh, matter and what I've read from that, it looks quite clear that because you know there has to be transparency of ownership of of legal entities, shell companies and the like have have made um, payments to players and agents and the like. That probably we'll see an outcome of that before we'll see anything coming from the uh, from the city investigation, which actually you'll then crank it up even more, won't it? Well, you'd say that they're trying that what they're, I think what the Premier League are trying to do is say, leave us alone, we can manage our own house. I think the danger is if this is kind of like, okay, let's go, let's go one step further with um, larger breaches, let's say, then they run the danger of having maybe the, the, uh, a certain, a certain branch of the club saying, well, we don't want to be part of your league anymore. And this is the balance they've got to be careful because Guardiola said it very clearly, your pe people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. So if everyone's clean, if everybody's got nothing to be concerned of, then then fine and let's take our medicine. We'll go down and spend another two seasons following the club up grounds we've been to before and return back to the Premier League, no doubt. And, and that'll be another part of the Mad City story, let's say. Um, that's one way to look at it, but actually, the the reality is that that the Premier League is not able to take care of its own affairs, um, and it needs root and branch restructuring, um, which would take far longer than to discuss on this 
podcast today because it's actually um it's 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 not a fair fair uh, business it's a, it's a cartel business at the end of the day you know itself uh for me how can such a such a business um you know criticize anybody when actually the whole setup is is rigged um and and somebody put a great article together i think it was on one of those media channels where they took away uh, chelsea and city from the premier league as, as if they never existed and with the exception of leicester then you know which three teams are behind all the ffp it's it's a, it's the red teams of london and liverpool and manchester and that's always been the case and there we believe now that that one of them is pushing now for this thing to be resolved with city i believe it's liverpool and it's it's just you know tragic really that that, that they're doing everything they can to 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 slow down our roller coaster this this four premier league championships in a row is is obviously going to create perhaps issues for the premier league are we turning into the bundesliga you know so there's a, there's a lot of complexity around what the motives are here um from different stakeholders but f- fundamentally i think the premier league have tried um and i think it's it's uh, unfair the uh, the punishment that they've dished out to everton and i hope that there'll be a successful appeal by then uh, so that the the punishment is at least reduced maybe to five five points or something like that I agree with what you say about Everton, by the way. I do think that that was um, too much, um, if, if 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 at all, really, that they should have been punished because, you know, you look at United and the debts that they've got and um, it, it, FFP isn't fit for purpose, in my opinion. But, um, and obviously, you will have all seen during the course of this week, somebody put up a... Uh, explained it really what what you were talking about, which is the sort of protection of the cartel. You know, I, I said to my wife the other day, you know, if, if you won twenty hundred and twenty million on the Euro Millions and you decided to help Oldham Athletic, you know, who are around the corner from where I live, then uh, you would be stopped from doing it because FFP wouldn't allow you to do it. Um, so how can that be right? However, Pep has taken the so far, anyway, the stance in these press conferences of saying, you know, if that's what the rule is and we've broken it, then we will deserve our punishment. He's actually said that um, and he said it more than one time. So I suppose the other way of looking at it, I don't look at it this way, by the way. I prefer the the first version, which is it is a cartel and it's an unfair rule. However, the argument would be that if the rule was that you you know, the speed limit on this road is 50 miles an hour and you're going 70 and you say, well, come on, this should be a 70 mile an hour speed limit here. You know, there's no, it's not built up. It's a dual carriageway. Why is it 50? It doesn't mean that you're not guilty of exceeding the speed limit, does it? So if the rules have been broken, which is what Pep up till now has been saying, if the rules have been broken, then we deserve whatever punishment we get. I mean, how, how do you react? to that then I, I think um, that he's towing the line in regards to uh, saying that therefore deflected away the fact that that um, obviously uh, the process that needs to go through will obviously go through etc etc but I also think as well that that, um, that he's in saying what he's saying there he's fairly confident in terms that that that, that 
things will to come to fruition that that we're actually not guilty as, as it were in regards to that and it's not as straightforward from that point of view so um and, and what i i suppose uh, naivety of, of myself really is that is that people's perception then that kind of diminishes um in some way the 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 bright light that city of of kind of shone in terms of winning what they what they have done and putting together you know in theory two two teams because obviously Pep has rebuilt um that it kind of in some way takes away from that that's the disappointing thing for me because I I, do, I think United and other clubs have proven that throwing money at something in order to build something doesn't necessarily always work it takes the right people involved in that to actually turn it into what it what it what it is and I would not like that kind of diminished uh, that taken away from and, and and his team and Manchester City Football Club for actually creating something through the fact that, that we've got the right people in the right posts and the ability for them to turn the team that we've got or the players that we've got into better players and into a really, really, really good squad inside. That that would be my disappointment if if obviously that is is seen that we've only done it because we've got money. Mm. Andy? If there was clear evidence of these charges being being uh, correct, I would have imagined that things would have moved quicker. So I'm not sure, really, whether we're going to see anything more than a prolonged uh, pause while this just disappears. Um, Eventually, do... though, even if it disappears, somebody's going to have to say it's disappeared, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, sure. Or, or <laughs> you know, put up or shut up. So let's have it. Let's have it out there. And if you, if if then the club feels that they've been wrong, they've been wronged. Um, then they'll take the necessary action to defend themselves. What you see is the end game, Andy. Because sooner or later, either the Premier League have got to back down, which is what you're saying. They've got to completely back down and say, "Listen, we got this wrong." Um, uh, and then everybody's going to throw everything at them. All those fears about external controlling bodies coming in and taking over the the administration of football, which is what they're dreading, would then come in at that point. Uh, if, on the other hand, that they find City guilty of something and there's a, a serious sort of punishment, then City are going to appeal. It's going to go through the courts even longer. It's going to cost the Premier League more money. It's going to tarnish the image of the Premier League. So it mm. feels like two stubborn kids. Uh, I, I don't I don't mean City are, are a stubborn kid, really, because I, I feel as if they've done nothing wrong and that, that, that this is uh, not their fault. But, however, that will be... You could draw that parallel and say it was two kids locking her, her horns, you know, uh, neither of them will back down. What's the end game? How does this get resolved in a way where the Premier League can walk away happy, City can walk away happy, and all of the rest of the football world can go away and go, fair enough, it was all looked like, it's all innocent, let's move on. Is there a way that can happen? Yeah, the, the, it can happen if, <clears throat> let's call it the old school accept that things have changed and that um, you can't live in the past. And that's what's got to change. And that's the Premier League, the actual product, which is the Premier League, which, let's be honest, it's a fantastic product, um, possibly now becoming more and more difficult for teams who are not in the Premier League to get and stay in the Premier League <clears throat> for whatever reason. Again, this might be down to 
um, you know, the, the amount of money available in the time that championship teams have to come up and stay in, it's looking more and more difficult for them. So you could already argue it's becoming a a 15-team certainty. Uh, uh, and I think that's when it starts to become re- really kind of like heading towards p- potentially needing an external uh, body to come in and say, you've, re- you've really got to have a different approach to how you manage this because it is an exceptional uh, product. It does an awful lot for the country. It's a shop window of of, of English football. And, um, and there's obviously still things not right. Whatever the Premier League uh, attempt to do, there, there are still things which we, we don't know all the, all the, all the details of every club. But I just can't help feeling that um, it's it's not run as as, as business is regulated. Um, there's still there's still things that you feel, um, you know, things come out later because there's been no ability to look at things early enough. And I think you know perhaps there has to be a lot more transparency around what clubs are doing here and now. So if you've got an external regulator that says, you know what, we're going to look at you now today. Um, no, no advance warning. We're going to take a look at what you're doing, and, and we don't want to go back uh, three years. We want to look at now, um, and I think that should be something that perhaps forms part of the end game. Is that there's always a concern in the owners of football clubs that at any minute they could be held to account for their actions and behaviours. So you don't have to wait for accounts to be published and. Then, then you know, audited and checked, and and so on, or, or you're relying on whistleblowers or, or or other sources of information. So, I think the end game is that there will have to be some 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 method, whether the Premier League have control of it themselves or it's external, of being able to hold to account clubs for their actions in a different and in a more timely way and in a more transparent way than they are today. It certainly feels to me as if. Um... I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you're on holiday. It, this seems to happen to me anyway, more on holiday. And you look out to sea and there's a big black cloud and it's absolutely pouring down. And you're still on the beach and it's beautiful and sunny and you know it's coming towards you. And you say to your missus, that's half an hour. Away. In half an hour, that'll be here. So we'll just have another 10 or 15 minutes, but it's coming here. And so at some point we're going to have to run inside. And it feels as if that's what's happening with this. Uh, you know, everything's going along quite nicely. We're enjoying the football. We're watching City more or less winning all the time, advancing in all these trophies. But there is a storm, not just a storm heading towards City, but towards football in general, which is going to be massive, huge, how it's going to be resolved when eventually we get to that point. And that point might be a year away, might be two years away. It could suddenly happen tomorrow. It's not quite as predictable as that storm just off the beach, is it? So well, you yeah. sense that? I, no, 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 totally. I, I do think that um, the difficulty, in, and I think Andy alluded to it, is that it's that acceptance which needs to happen, whether that's from the obviously the obvious clubs that we talk about, accepting that, that this is the way and, and the way that it goes. We then put something in place, as, as Andy kind of referred to, that makes sure that, that something like this doesn't happen again. Um, unless... There is some conversations going ahead where it looks like that Manchester City are kind of punished, but in a way that the 
Premier League have agreed that they're going to be punished, which is not really a punishment, but it's kind of the the only kind of outcome that they can do. Very, very small kind of punishment. That may be the only way that, that the two sides kind of come out come out as winners ultimately and, and, and not as guilty as, as one seems. And I think that's what probably the Premier League uh, uh, are probably looking at, maybe because that they're not able to kind of maybe put the uh, accusations together in some form that actually results in some big, big um, uh, changes in terms of how Manchester City operate. So I think that that's probably going to be a possible outcome. Uh, so the, other, the other complication is that, you know, I, I'm hearing um, suggestions from, you know, that, that as a, somebody's going to sue Everton now, you know, that, 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 that because they weren't punished with the 10 points a year ago, that that's, that affected last year's relegation and that teams who then went down or didn't come up or whatever, you know, you can see how it gets complicated. So if, for example, the Premier League were to say, um, you know, OK, um, City did do a misdemeanour in the uh, 2015 season or something like that. And that and we would have done 10 points on them then, but we can't. We're not going to take the Premier League title off them, um, but we're going to give them 15 points next season or something like that. Then do Liverpool or whoever finished second in that season then go, well, hang on a minute. We missed out on winning the Premier League. We missed out on, you know, playing in the, the community shield, whatever, however they would argue it financially. It can actually get a lot more complicated and it is an absolute minefield in terms of what, you know, what the repercussions of any punishment or non-punishment is. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There's consequential impacts and losses that clubs may be allowed. I understood from the ruling with Everton that there is now that opportunity to pursue uh, damages by by other clubs. Um, and I think we're starting to get into this area of, okay, it's, a, it's a, if it's about integrity, um, let's really start to get looking at the, the bodies that regulate football. We're talking now about the Premier League. We're just ring-fencing that because that's what's that's where the action's happening. I still look at the other two more uh, critical bodies, UEFA and FIFA, and shake my head in disbelief at, even this week, two, two very important games in the uh, qualifiers for, for Germany. Uh, where frankly it it it, it was crooked, uh, the refereeing in the Ukraine Italy game and the Wales Turkey games, both teams that didn't qualify are in the playoffs, so they weren't going to lose out that much. But UEFA actually, the head of UEFA came out and said before the Italy Ukraine game, the Euros just won't be the same without Italy. He actually said that, and then there was an absolute stonewall penalty. In the in the ninety second minute, which they just didn't even look at, they didn't even VAR it. It's a disgrace. And 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 similarly, you know, Saudi Arabia and the and the FIFA nonsense as well. It's quite clear that the direction of travel there. And you look at that and you think, well, we're just you know we're wasting our time because it's it's quite clear that um, this this sport is incapable of doing the right thing from a from a moral. And, and integrity basis, it's uh, it's as corrupt as that 
banner and the aeroplane said today. Um, so I think I think that's the bigger issue. Um, great if the if the Premier League sorts its house in order, but but really we're talking about football uh, generally just being um, being rinsed with 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 bad a bad image because of money being uh, being being the thing that talks. I think you're agreeing with me, really, because even if we weren't City fans and this wasn't a Manchester City podcast, that we can all see that in football that storm is coming and we don't quite know when it's going to hit the shore. And when it does, we don't quite know it's going to be hailstones, thunder and lightning, heavy rain or whatever, but something's coming and it's big. And I'm sure it's something we'll talk about again in the future. Uh, Now, at this point, I want to say to you, Andy and Tony, um, thanks very much for, for coming on the podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll quickly, uh, because Mike McLean was going to be the guest tonight, and uh, as you have downloaded this podcast now, you'll know how long the podcast is. So by definition, if there's another 15 minutes to go, you know that in a minute you're going to hear from Mike McLean. If you can see that the time is ticking down, you know we're coming to the end of the podcast. So let's end this bit of the podcast by me asking you about the upcoming game against Leipzig and Spurs. Um, Given what I've said about um, the fact that City don't even need to win on Tuesday, is this going to be basically the City second team and then all guns blazing Tottenham? And how do you feel that game will go? Um, I don't think that Pep works like that, ultimately. (laughs) I think think he will go to win the game. I think then to uh, ensure the top spot is, is, is because that's something that we can go for. So therefore, there is still something to play for. I think momentum plays a big part, and I don't think that you can go and sort of play differently or play with a different set of players if you then obviously um, needed to get up for a game on Sunday. I know obviously that doesn't always work that way, but that would be my understanding of it. So I don't expect it to change too much. I think there will be a slight more exper- experimental side to it but it won't be as significant as it could be uh, and maybe they're expected from that so I don't think there will be too many changes from that um, I expect us to go there uh, and win and therefore that then put that definitely then puts that to bed and I think uh, he's referred to uh, Pep has referred to the fact that, it, that there is still that point to go, uh, there is still that um, top spot to go for so I think we will go there and win I then think he will obviously look at the Tottenham game um, and the old cliche, you know, one game at a time comes into play. And and I think he will then have a bit more time then to look at that game on on Sunday. Um, and, 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 and again, I expect us to win our home games. You know, we have, without being too optimistic, we have made our uh, home games. Um, we have made sort of the Etihad a fortress. So I, I, I don't expect us to to lose that game against Tottenham. And I certainly think the momentum from um, the midweek game against Leipzig will will obviously um, work in our favour from that point of view. So I do expect two wins. I certainly expect a home victory on uh, Tuesday against uh, Leipzig. And by the way, I would encourage anybody who can to go down and watch the under-19s at three o'clock as well, because I always enjoy watching those games. And it's it's really good. You see the next recall, Lewis or Phil Folden coming through as well. So I recommend that if you get a chance to go. I'd expect them to beat Leipzig with whatever team they put out on Tuesday, frankly. And then the Tottenham game is the next big one, Andy, isn't it? Mm, I agree with everything Tony said. 
I don't see Pep Guardiola changing what he's done since he joined City. He, he will want that game uh, to be uh, a good performance on Tuesday night and he'll put the team strong enough out to, to, to win. The certainty of winning the group absolutely uh, nailed on. Um, and then I think the Tottenham game, where we've really found them to be a bit of a, a pain, uh, certainly away from Wembley and uh, and the Etihad, they've been troublesome to beat away. And last season they did the double. So we, we owe them one. And I, I certainly think we're strong enough at home with the team we've got at the moment without even additions of players coming back that, that we should be able to beat Spurs next weekend. Um, and, yeah, continue with this, um, you know, hang, hanging on and around the top of the league. We, we'll obviously drop back with with the game that will will not be played in December while we're in Saudi. So I think going forward, if we can keep to within you know, a, a two or three point gap from anyone else who might be above us over the Christmas period until that game is is played again. I think that'll be a, a pretty good job done. And especially if we go through the, the Champions League group with um, with all games won, um, you know, that was certainly something that no defeats last season in the Champions League was something I think that was very important. And he'll be wanting to make sure that that's still the case this season, as long as we're in it. So, yeah, I'm the same. I think that I'm quite confident about the the two games this week. Well, thanks very much to, uh, to Andy and to uh, to Tony uh, with their views going forward. And now I'm delighted that I can say Mike McLean is with us. So, Mike, very much appreciate you joining us. We've talked about a lot of things there. We've talked about, um, you know, sort of the 115 charges and we'll come back to that. But first of all, I hope you got a chance to, to watch the Liverpool game and, and give us your view, verdict on where City are at the moment. 4-4 draw against Chelsea. 1-1 draw against Liverpool, big games against Spurs and Villa coming up. Um, are you feeling that City are just slipping a little bit now and again or is it a bigger problem or what, what's your analysis? I think, you know, watching the game yesterday, I thought they cancelled each other out, if I'm really honest, Ian, and, and I thought the game was slow. The atmosphere was, wasn't the best, you know, uh, and you you want your fans to be the eleventh, twelfth man, should I say? Not the eleventh because you've got eleven, but you want that. And and it wasn't, it, it just wasn't. And 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 with the Chelsea game, I remember seeing you at Chelsea, and I just thought I wouldn't have started Docker at Chelsea. I would have started Grealish, and I would have brought Docker on with about half an hour to go or thirty five minutes to go because the last thing you want as a right back is a player like him coming at you. You know, and I love Doku. I think he's a great. I think Doku's going to be a really good player in about a year's time when he knows when to release the ball, when he knows not hang, how to hang on to it too much and one trick too many. You know, and I think Pep will get that out of him. But yesterday, I just thought, mm. I, I did think it was a great goal, the second one. I didn't think there was anything wrong. I think if anything, Allison fumbled it, and it should have been a goal. I think we're protecting keepers too much now. But again, those little. It, there was there's something missing at City, and I think that answer is De Bruyne. If I'm really honest, I think that's that's the reason we are the way we are now. And I think once he's back, you know, uh, I think we'll see a different City. Well, I wrote a, a newspaper article which will be published this week, in which I 
talked about both the strikers, i.e. Haaland and Alvarez, and mm-hmm. the defence. And last week or last time out against Chelsea, um, Ruben Diaz came in for a little bit of stick. And I said, yeah. the problem is actually the midfield because we are used to, City that is, dominating midfield so that Ruben Diaz and the defenders are relatively... Um, unexposed, shall we say, and just have to deal with a few breakaways. And up front, we're creating that many chances that even if Haaland misses a few or Alvarez misses a few or somebody else misses a few, it doesn't matter because there'll be another one along in five minutes. And it feels to me at the moment that we're missing that. And and you're right to identify Kevin De Bruyne, but what about Ilkay Gundogan? What about the absence sporadically this season of John Stones, which has coincided with the two successive draws, and Rodri missed three successive defeats? So that the four that would have been KDB, Ilkay Gundogan, Stones and Rodri, um, now we're getting at best two of those. And, yeah. and City are just not firing in the way. But I don't want to be too critical, but that, that to me is where, if there's a problem, that's where it is. Yeah, you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head there with Ilkay Gundogan. I don't think we've placed like for like. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Kovacic. I did like him at Chelsea, but I don't think he's that player that just finds that little pass here or that little pass there. And that you're absolutely bang on there. And if we had somebody like Ilkay Gundogan, um, maybe things would be different. You're right in saying... Um, I also think Rodri at the moment is just not. He's doing what he does, but he's just not. He's not quite a hundred percent. You know, I, I'm a massive fan of Rodri, and I think he, for me, he's just not just quite there. Um, I, I don't know. It's just. It's, it, I can see what you're saying. It, I'm not a big fan of like. You see the Docker or Grealish or Docker or Grealish and Docker. I thought Grealish last season was having a, had a blinder, you know, and I, I get why he's brought Doku in just to keep Grealish on his toes. I wasn't a fan of Folding yesterday outright. I thought Folding for me is the David Silva. He's in that middle playing either that ten run, just just those little passes that he can he can find players with. And I think on the right hand side, I just I wasn't a big fan to be honest. He needs to be a bit calmer, Folding, doesn't he? I mean. Um, you know, he's got the skills and the energy, no doubt about that, and he can score goals and all the rest of it. But the difference with David Silva was that you could almost see the cogs moving in his head as he's threading his way through midfield, and that's what it needs. That Whether he'll get that through maturity, I don't know, but he's got the ability for I think. 100%, I think you're absolutely right. I I think we still forget he's only young. And where we and we remember David Silva for his latter years, where he was absolutely. I mean, I was saying to my son the other day, David Silva, you never ever seen him or saw him uh, lose a ball. Uh, yesterday, for me, I tell you the one thing I, I noticed a lot of was a Kanji. Just I know he's got a Kanji playing in that role of John Stones, right? But for me, just give away too many passes, too many passes. And I would have put Rico Lewis in there because I think Rico Lewis does a better job in that position than Akanji does, uh, because he's playing without any fear, any fear at all. And I'm a massive fan of his. Mm, well, we'll see. I mean, he's bound to play, I would have thought, on Tuesday against uh, Leipzig. But the next big challenge is, of course, Tottenham. Um, let's let's move on to another subject that we were talking about, uh, which with, with the other two lads, which was this 115 charges. Now, not, I, I don't bring this up because... I want to talk about it or mm-hmm. I'm particularly worried about it more as a reaction really to the to the way that once Everton got dot these 10 points that suddenly it became 
this big talking point again. Yeah. And you've only got to pick up, you know, anything on social media or in a newspaper and everything draws back to, well, wait till City are dealt with and this mm-hmm. is going to happen and all. How do you feel about what you're seeing? Because you're, you know, you travel around a lot more than me, so you, you're exposed to more people all over the world, really. Uh, yeah. How are people perceiving what's going on? Well, everybody just says City are guilty. You know, they're guilty without even a case. You're absolutely right. I think before the charge of Everton came along, it sort of been forgotten about City. It sort of, you know, it'd been put under the map. Everton get charged because they cooperated, and rightly so. Uh, and then suddenly they get their 10 points deducted, which, can I just say, I think is a bit harsh, if I'm really I being honest. I agree. Uh, 10, 10 for me is just, that is really harsh. Um and with City, you speak to City and suddenly everybody knows everything about City. Everybody's got their opinion. Every But at the end of the day, we don't know anything as punters. We don't know the exact uh, charges that are being brought against them. We don't know what's holding up. We're just assuming, we're surmising, and we've all got our opinions. But the only people that really know are those solicitors acting on for City and acting on for the Premier League. I do think, though, it was... This is my philosophy. I think... The Champions League, right, and I've said this before, I think they had a go at City, failed, and I think they've gone to the Premier League, look, you have a go now and we'll help you. And I'm saying this, and I'm going to stand by this, this is going to open up a massive can of worms because the one thing those barristers are going to do are going to delve deeper, deeper than anybody's ever been with the Premier League, and they're going to find things that I don't think the Premier League will have expected them to find, and that's going to bring that to light. And I think, at the end of the day, the Premier League are going to regret this. A hundred percent, they're going to regret this. I completely agree. I mean, I drew a parallel with the other two lads about, uh, it's as if, and you will know this better than anybody because you're on cruise ships and travelling all over the world. You might just go with me on this little uh, uh, parallel. But it's like you're on the beach on your holiday and you can see a storm out at sea and you can see it slowly progressing towards you. And you say to your missus, who's still sunbathing, well, we've got another 10 or 15 minutes and we're going to have to go inside. And she goes, it's, it's lovely and sunny. And yeah. It, yeah, but it's coming, it's coming, and it. Yeah. I don't know how this storm is going to hit. I don't know whether City are going to suffer, football's going to suffer, the Premier League's going to suffer. I, I just can't predict what's going to happen. But it feels. I think the Premier League. I think the Premier League are going to going to suffer big time, absolutely big time, because they're not going to let this. There's the barriers. The one thing I've learned in my life, barristers are the most. They they're just geniuses on a different level. They are unbelievable, right? And they will question everything. They will want proof of everything. And not only will they want proof of City, and I get that, and our barristers, the barristers representing City will have that covered, but then the City barristers will go, hold on a minute, why is that not happening there? Why is that there? And and it'll have that domino effect, knock-on effect. And next thing you know, you'll find Chelsea. Hold on a minute, will that happen to Chelsea? Then you've got Newcastle. And then suddenly start peeling the onion away and you go, well, hold on a minute, what about United? What about Liverpool? What about... And suddenly that's, like you said, that is that storm that's going to come. And then somebody at the Premier League's gone, oh, I wish we'd never bothered. Well, they're never going to back down. The Premier League are not going to back down. So no. how is this going to end? What is the end game? I asked that to Andy before. What's the end game? Well, I think it's probably going to be a slap on hand. Maybe a three points and a big and a little fine. And that's that's what I think. I really, but then, really. But think. then the rest of the football world all goes. This is all fiddled and city. It's corrupt, yeah, yeah, and yeah, so it, yeah. the storm doesn't go away at that point. No, no, no. It's, no, it's, it, the storm's gone, but there's still that rain there. It's still beating down. 
I, I, I've said it and I'll say it a thousand times. They're going to regret this. They're going to regret this. You're you're taking on one of the big boys. And and from what I've read, I think Khaldun said he'd, he'll pay 10, 15 barristers, whatever it takes to fight this case. And let's be honest, City have got the money to fight this case. And they've got the... I was reading about the barrister. He's one of the best. £1,000 an hour. He's going to be best. He's going to be good, isn't he? You know, um, I'm going to see if he's got any jobs, if he needs anybody. The amount of paperwork they're going to have to get through, Ian. I, mean, I can't remember how many it was at Liverpool, uh, Everton. Sorry, it was, I know it was in his thousand. So can you imagine the amount of documents they're going to have to go through with City? But everybody wants City to fail because, you know, we're doing well. Everybody wants City to fail. Uh, and you, everybody I speak to, that's what they've got at the moment. That's what they've got over us, these 115 charges, which when you get rid of it, are going to be whittled down to about maybe five or six at best. Andy said, uh, suggested, and I've always been a little bit reluctant to accept this type of view because I don't want to believe that football's corrupt in terms of what we're watching on the pitch. I'm not talking about what happens off now. But I'm starting to wonder now because you saw that penalty, that, sorry, that goal that was disallowed that City had that would have made them 2 0 up against Liverpool. And Andy's comment was the last thing the Premier League want is City to go 2 0 up, four points clear, and win this league comfortably again, especially with what's going on. But also because when you hear the discussions now about Harry Kane in Germany and how well he's doing, and people are going, he's very dismissive. They, they say, ah, it's just the Farmers League. And they don't want City to now be Bayern Munich in the Premier League. Mm. And and you start to think, is there something in this? Is, is there a are we, are we seeing little bits of things that are, I don't want to believe I just absolutely don't want to believe that there's corruption within the game, but I'm starting to wonder myself. There is corruption in the game, and I'll say it before you even say it. There's no way there isn't. There is absolutely no way there isn't. And why? Because of money. That's what it is. And there'll be people at the Premier League who've got big says and make big decisions. And I'll say, they don't want City to win five on the bounce. Is it five or four on the bounce? It'll be four they don't, this year. Yeah. Four, yeah, they don't want City to win four on the bounce. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. We know it's corrupt. You know, I was watching television with my other half and, and Chasselle, and I can see what's coming because I know TV and the way it works. And that, the Premier League is very similar. It's very, very similar. And, and there's no way in this world that I'm going to sit here in my office and go, the Premier League isn't as dodgy as hell. It is. It's as bent as hell. And I'll hold my hands up and say it without even caring a world. It is. And that is why it's going to hit them in the face because these barristers are going to show them. And I bet you any money, I'd love to be a fly on the wall because I bet you any money, right, there'll be a barrister that goes in the Premier League and go, right, well, are you sure you want to go against City? Because we found this and this. And if they find this and this, it's going to open up a whole tin of worms. And then the Premier League go, oh, all right, how about if we just give you a little fine, slap in the hands, maybe a few points looted. That's what I'm thinking. But it is as bent as hell. I wouldn't be surprised, Ian, you know, they, 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 I can't see the Premier League in years to come. I've said it to my mates as well. I think there will be a Super League. I don't know when, but I do think there'll be a Super League. And that'll still be the Premier League. I think you're right, Mike, and 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 actually, you can you can pay you can do something that'll be very useful here because I worked at the BBC for many years, as you know, yeah. not quite to the extent of of the exposure that you had to the TV that we all now consume because I was working in radio and sport, but enough to know 
that everything is is manufactured and guided in certain ways so for example when you're watching and this might seem like a trivial thing to talk about but you know watching uh the current Strictly come dancing and you think everybody's saying Angela Lupin has to qualify for Blackpool because she once presented the programme so going to make sure she goes, mm-hmm. goes to Blackpool and then goes out and, and and even the people like me who do, to a point don't want to believe these things knew that that was right and could see in it and it all happened you lived in that world just, just yeah. give us, if you would a little insight into what you're talking about because people don't believe me when I tell them Oh, a hundred percent, he does. Listen, I get. Uh, uh, listen, X Factor, Britain's Got Talent. They're all. They all want their. P- listen, there wasn't a comedian that won for a amount of years on Britain's Got Talent. Suddenly, a comedian wins. Mm. X Factor, absolutely terrible singers. We all know the terrible singers, but they get into the final. Mm. Listen, I've worked in telly for years. I know, and I've worked at a club, a certain club that I know where you go. Listen, it'd be good if he wins. And that's the way it is. It it completely is corrupt, you know. And, and and you'll never see you'll never see one of these programs on telly, right? And I've worked in telly for God knows how many years, where we where we go right. Let's just see what happens, because at the end of the day, it won't make for great telly. It won't a hundred percent. It won't because if you've got Margaret from Doncaster who hasn't got any character at all and suddenly wins, but you've got Jack from Doncaster who's the greatest character, well, he's going to win because he's good viewing. And it's the same with the Premier League. They don't want City winning it and running away with it. We did the treble last year. The chances are we could do it again this year. Oh, so many people going, oh, it's boring now because City just win everything. So the Premier League are looking at that and thinking, yeah, we can't have them winning again. I reckon, and I I don't know if it's true, but I did hear a rumour. And again, this is it may just be a rumour that they've got, there's a bit of audio, a bit of audio stating that it won't be good for the league if City win again, or uh, w- around about that way. That's what I've been told. So, I mean, I believe it when I see it, but, you know. And that's come from a very reliable source. I don't doubt that at all. Um, well, uh, what what City have got next up, of course, is Spurs. I mean, I know we've, we've got the Leipzig game on Tuesday, but I'll take that one as red, really. Uh, the, the Tottenham game and then Villa. Um, having watched the Liverpool game, having been at Chelsea as, as you and I were, yeah. you look at the Tottenham games and, and the Villa game with fear, especially given that the Premier League don't want us to win anything, which we be sort of establishing. Or do you think ah, City will now you know, go and beat them too? No, I think Tottenham have always been our bogey team. They've always, that we've always struggled against Tottenham. Yeah, Even the, two last year though at home. Pardon? We beat them 4 2 at home last oh, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But previous to that, they've always been, they've not been the team that we've gone right. Even when we go there, you know, they've always they've always done us. Villa's the team. Uma Henry's just started to get them playing nice football. You know, when he was at Arsenal, you think, oh, they went back to Spain and won the Europa League and suddenly he's come on and they're playing nice football. If out of the two, Villa would be the team I'm sort of worried about. I do think we'll beat Tottenham. But Villa is the team I, I'm sort of worried about. He's not. He's not. He's a good manager, Ryan. And I, I think that's the one. Yeah. I just, I just. I know John Stones was back on the bench yesterday. That was great. But I was praying to God that he didn't play him because I just think he's he's been absolutely brilliant. And I wouldn't play him. And I'd, I'd hold him out until as much as I can until he's completely and utterly fit. Because without him, he's a major loss. You know. 
when we got him back, when we got Kev back, will we see a different Manchester City? Because normally it's after Christmas time. We're, this time last year, we're, never, we're, we're nowhere near the top of the league. This year we are. Uh, everybody's raving about Liverpool and how great they did yesterday. I didn't see it. If they're raving about Liverpool and how well, I, I'm sorry, but I didn't see it. I didn't. If they were that good, they should have come second half. Yeah, they came out better than us. We came out slow, and I, I was saying to my lad, if we come out slow, then this game will be a draw. And I was right. Um, if we'd have come out and attacked Liverpool, we would have won yesterday, hands down, easily. I've got to finish by asking you about your you. You're starting a, a McLean dynasty now, aren't you, footballers? How are your lads doing? Yeah, my eldest lad is doing well. He's um he's been training with Billericay first team, and these are grown men. So he's a fifteen year old training with grown men, and uh, they've actually signed him for the first team. So he's doing well. Do you remember Barry Silkman, the old agent? Yeah, uh, the, the Man City player. He's a big agent now. He's a good friend of mine. So he's coming to have a look at him in a few weeks' time. And my other little lad, he's moved from football. He's refereeing now because he's getting paid £30 a game and he realises if he does two on a Sunday, that's 60 quid and it's show me the money. So he's, <laughs> uh, but he's still playing, he's still enjoying it. Um, he got released by Ipswich, which was a, it's not great. It's it's not nice when they sort of release you, you know. He's sort of hit his confidence a bit, but he's still playing his Sunday football. He's he's refereeing, so he referees in the morning and does his game. And, and my eldest one is, yeah, he's flying at the moment. His dream would be to put on the blue shirt and live in Levenshoom at his nan's. And then just go up to uh, train every day. That that's his dream, you know. So, really, well, happens. Pass our best wishes on to him, and uh, thanks very much for joining us, Mike. Always, really Ian, always a pleasure, never a chore. Uh, thanks very much to Amar Development UK, of course, sponsor the podcast. Really appreciate their support, and for you for listening and uh, and hopefully spreading around. We'll do another podcast after the Tottenham game. Uh, that being a Sunday game, hopefully we'll record that on Sunday evening. In the meantime, have a good week. Enjoy the game um, against Leipzig. And uh, we'll be back uh, with, uh, obviously, a vlog on the YouTube channel for the Leipzig game. Uh, and no matter what people say in all this 115 charges and all the rest of it, just remember this one thing. If you don't remember anything else from this podcast, it's great to be a blue. <laughs>